I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, beautiful people. Uh, Jeremy here once again, and this week we have another incredibly special episode, just like every episode we put out. But what makes this episode a little bit extra special is that it is the the recording that we did for our live show while we were in Toronto, Ontario. So for the last... Uh, well, six weeks or so, we've been kind of banging out all of our Toronto recordings, and we're coming close to the end of those recordings. We've got one more episode after this week, um, but uh, what makes this one so special is that it was from our live show that we had at Movember House in downtown Toronto. Uh, now, usually, our live shows are saved for our patron uh, our Patreon supporters. So if you are a patron, you've been getting all of our live shows. Uh, we've been putting that up on our Patreon page. Um, but this this was a, a really special episode that we actually have already released on Patreon. Um, and it's one of those episodes where we feel like, you know what, if we're gonna if we're gonna convince people that Patreon is worth their time, this episode is the one to do that. Now, if you are a patron, if you are supporting us on Patreon, uh, don't fret because we are actually going to be giving you two bonus episodes uh, come the start of May uh, because we are releasing this one to the public. Um, But if you feel like you would love to hear exclusive episodes like this one right here, you can find all of that over at www.patreon.com slash sickboy. Uh, we put our live shows up there. We've, we've put, we recently put up a pretty wacky conversation that was never released to anybody before um, between the, the uh, two of us and one, one guest that we had on the, on the show. Um, and here's the other thing, talking about live shows. If you are a patron, you actually get first dibs on the tickets to our live shows, and our next Halifax live show is coming up. We're going to be having one in May. We're going to be announcing the date soon. So if you want first dibs on those tickets, which they do go hella fast, uh, head on over to www.patreon.com slash sickboy and show us your support. So without further ado... Uh, I'm going to just throw it on over to our conversation with the ever so incredible uh, Josh Cassidy. And this guy's a fucking beast. He races wheelchairs for a living and could probably bench press me times me times me times me. So like three or four of me. Um, That was the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. I hope you enjoy it. We love you all, and see you on the other side. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick, live from the Movember House in Toronto, Ontario. God damn. 
Oh, thank you, you. everybody. Oh, the way we... you cut them off like that just made it sound fake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, thank you all so much for, uh, for showing up tonight. Uh, it means a whole hell of a lot for us to see all of your lovely faces. And, uh, yeah, we're at a pretty cool spot here, eh? We are. We uh, really can't thank uh, – well, first, let's go Let's go work down for Toronto. For This is our first time being outside of uh, – doing a live show outside of Atlanta, Canada. So this is our first time in Toronto. We want to thank each and every one of you guys for – we're coming out. Uh, we it was very nerve wracking. I wasn't sure if people were going to come out. Yeah, very nerve wracking. Thank you oh. to uh, Movember. Uh, they've uh, been in our corner before uh, when we've been in Toronto. They've helped us out a lot, and we really can't thank them enough for this beautiful space for hosting us here, for all the work that they do uh, for men's health, uh, mental health, and physical health. Um, we are massive fans of what you guys do, and uh, we can't thank you enough for hosting us. <laughs> Here tonight. Yeah, also a big fan of the way you decorate your shit. Uh, this is how I want Very my house so. to look like. Mm-hmm. Bridey, do you hear that? I want my house to look like this. Wink. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, also, thanks to the ten people who paid for tickets, the rest of the audience here uh, is just a staged audience. Um, <laughs> so thank you. This is costing us a lot of money. Yes, thanks. <laughs> a lot of professional actors here in the audience. So. Um, and, and the other thing is, what we're trying to do in, in coming here is build community. So without having you guys come to events like this, that would not happen. Uh, our big goal since we started this podcast is to destigmatize illness and be able to make those awkward conversations easier to have. So thank you so much for being here. You guys have inspired us to, to want to go to other, other cities across Canada and to come back here again and do it bigger and better next time. So thank you. Yeah, and actually one of the big uh, uh, reasons why we were able to actually come here is uh, because of all of our Patreon supporters. So uh, that is a crowdfunding service that we use to essentially, it's the only way that we're making any money from this right now. And that money directly goes into, you know, sending us to a place like Toronto and being able to talk like people like Josh, who you're about to hear from. Um, So, and I know that we, we give dibs, first dibs to our live shows to our patrons uh, for 24 hours before the live shows. And so I know that there's a few of you here tonight and fuck I honestly, I cannot begin to thank you enough because it really means uh, the world to us that you're you're there to support us. So so thank you all so much. And if you're not a patron, <laughs> well, this thanks is for showing up. Plenty of hours more you can do. No, anyway, but uh, but yeah. So thank you, thank you so much for that. A couple of housekeeping rules before we go any further. Uh, there's a couple of camera people here and a sound guy, and they are shooting a documentary. Uh, they're they're they've been hired by the CBC to follow us around and, and shoot what we're up to. So if you are not comfortable with being on camera. Too bad. <laughs> no, if you're not if you're not comfortable with that, uh, go see this guy Andrew McCormick, and just let him know like oh, my boss isn't supposed to know I was at that show last night. So uh, and he'll he'll take care of that. Uh, the other thing is bathrooms are downstairs. Um, I actually just learned that there's more than one bathroom I know, downstairs. I know. I went a little deeper, and I was like, oh, look at that. There we yeah, go. Yeah, it's like when my mom tells me that I didn't look hard enough to find that thing that I lost. You looked pretty much like that. You looked hard enough. Great. Yeah, right. so I'm going to call her after this and be like, Mom, uh, and the, I'm and a I guess if we have any smokers, uh, you should stop. But if you have to, uh, go on out there or go on out the front. Um, 
I guess it's like, you know. Are, are the people that aren't real, supposed to be here, their boss doesn't want them at the show, or are they working for companies that are actively, like, boycotting, talking about health <laughs> I don't, I have no and normalizing idea. it? Movember's got to have some, like, fake this. mustaches around for disguise. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, so without further ado, let's, uh, let's get to know uh, our guest for this evening, Mr. Josh Cassidy. How you doing? Oh, good. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Very, very well. It's great to be here. Um, so you, I, I mean, there's a lot of people here in attendance tonight who can see you. Um, you are a striking looking man with a nice beard. Uh, well, thank uh, you. Well kept hair. And uh, you are fucking yoked. Uh, <laughs> Goddamn. But the What's other, your wingspan? Six <laughs> <laughs> two. But I think the important thing that a lot of the people who are listening right now that they can't see is that you are sitting in a wheelchair. I am. Um, I am. <laughs> what? I am? What? <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, so uh, how long have you been in a wheelchair, man? Uh, since I was born. Not this specific one since I was born, but... Uh, <laughs> There's been significant uh, improvements, I imagine. Can you imagine? It grows <laughs> with me. Yeah, I was, was going to say a baby in a wheelchair like that. It'd just be like, oh, You're just wow. avatar. You're like connected at the tailbone <laughs> to the base of the chair. I was born with uh, neuroblastoma cancer in my spine and abdomen. And, um, Holy fuck. Yeah, and, uh, and so I'm... You know, very lucky to be here today, but the damage that it did to my spinal cord left my legs partially paralyzed. So um, that was the the result of it. You're born, like, are you in utero with cancer? Apparently. Jeez. Well, it's pretty whoa. rare. Wow. R- how, yeah. like how rare? Extremely. Like, it's, it's, not, um, it's not hereditary uh, or anything like that either. Yeah. So, so one of those uh, crazy things. Now, was this something that they... Um, how long did it take them to catch this? Like you, you didn't, I'm guessing you didn't come out and the doctor was like, whoa, cancer on the baby or. No, the first couple of days, my parents noticed that I had a bit of a weak foot and it was misdiagnosed at first as, um, spina bifida. And by the how time you, they How do you tell it, a baby has a weak foot? Well, like doing like the, the, the nerve tests, you know, like the, oh, yeah, 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 like yeah, the yeah, response yeah. tests. So, right. didn't so it was delayed. <laughs> so like, <laughs> but like this baby's oh, three days old. Why is he walking yet? Maybe walk. that's what they did. And that's what was. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so just in those couple of days of misdiagnosis, it, it really progressed quickly to, I don't, I don't remember the chance were 50, 50 or something like that. Um, so I was operated on, I guess, two weeks after birth, I think. Oh wow! Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ! And yeah. so uh, that's a that's an intricate surgery. I'm guessing, you know, like we, actually, yeah. it's funny. We just talked to a girl today yeah. who has uh, she had a cleft palate, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, you know, cleft palate uh, generally isn't like like dire to get fixed right away. It mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't like um, it doesn't carry like a lot of like. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like Pro- uh, problems? Yeah, like, yeah, like like. <laughs> uh, you got three uh, dumb guys trying. This to is why you're here. Word. This uh, is uh, why. Uh, we can do this, guys. <laughs> What's the word? Basically, uh, she was saying that they 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 didn't touch her for a year. They were just like, let's leave it because. Um, because you know it's her lips, cosmetic. her mouth, every, everything was cosmetic. That's what, and yeah. And so she was so small that they were like, well, let's just let her grow. So it, the surgery is way easier. But obviously, in, in your case, it's like, well, we got to move now, right? It, yeah. it, did they ha- Was this something like? Um, was where are you from? Uh, I was born in Ottawa, but uh, my dad was in the military, so we moved all over the place. Okay, and was this surgery something that they could do where you were at that time, or or did you have uh, to yes. go somewhere special? No, it was it was I think it was maybe Ottawa General or something like. Oh, okay, something like Ottawa's that, pretty but, well funded. Yeah, right here. Yeah, it's, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I know that. It's the place like, to be. Um, 
being diagnosed with cancer is not an easy thing, but do you remember what you were feeling in that moment? <laughs> I would say... Jesus Christ. Uh, poop. Eat. Well, I got some pretty early memories. Actually, the earliest I can remember back is one year old. I can remember one. Whoa, really. no shit. Really? Born. Yeah, I have Did a memory have, like, a from one. And memory. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. My first me- Like, I have a couple memories from two and a couple from three and pretty much four on. I pretty much remember everything. Well, so. What was your one-year-old memory? That's really impressive. Uh, when my little brother was born, I was with my, uh, my grandmother, and I, I remember she was taking me in uh, toboggan to a corner store, and I just remember the view behind her sitting in there. I don't remember being in the store. Um, when I had shared this with her years later, she goes, oh, my God, I can remember that. You were saying hi to everybody, just hi, 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 hi. <laughs> I don't remember that, but I remember the cheesies in my hands after because I was <laughs> eating the hell out of that bag of cheesies. But, yeah, that was that was my first memory. That's my it. first word was hockey. God, I think my first memory was, <laughs> like, Canada. last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, and no. it's still pretty hazy. And it's pretty, and and it's it's pretty hazy. hazy. Um, so what, what type of, like, treatment is, is involved? You kind of mentioned briefly, but can we get into a little bit of talking about exactly what the, the process is? Yeah, I had, well, the physically the cancer removed and chemotherapy and, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, corrective surgery for my legs. And I think I had maybe eight surgeries or something like that by the time I was five. Is that super risky for a kid? Like you said um, that it's, it's pretty uncommon. So Yeah. Well, I mean, I was young and it progressed pretty quickly. So, um, you know, there wasn't a, a great chance of, well, I, th- I think it was like a 50-50, I think it was, something like that. Um, the rest of the corrective surgeries aren't really risky, but, you know, things happen. And like, for example, I was pigeon-toed and they meant to correct my leg straight, but they went too far. So, oh. you know, I, you know, stuff like that, you know, <laughs> did they it's leave, not really did risky, they leave but, it like that? Well, I could have when I was six or seven gone back and get it corrected, but I had already started learning how to stand uh, holding on to stuff. And so at that point, I was like, it's pretty much for aesthetics and I would have to go back in for to the hospital for another year or two. And at seven years old, I was like, fuck that. And right. Was so that learning. like, uh, was that before the protractor was invented? So they couldn't get like the exact angle of your, I think it was, a, was the, to... the braces that right, were, yes. they had. Good question, Brian. Good market. question. Yeah. Uh, actually, just let me, you guys shut up. Let me take this. <laughs> how, how old are you? Uh, 32. 32. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got a question about, you know, so I don't, I don't have children, um, but uh, a lot of my friends do. And, and I've got a few nieces and nephews that are pretty little and, uh, my sister actually just had a baby and I don't know much about like the ages in which things start to happen. So I'm mm-hmm. starting to learn that right now. Right. Uh, you know, he's making, he's, he's very young. How, how old is Hudson, Brad? He's like five months or yeah. So he's like five months old. He's starting to like, just like, like make growling noises, stuff like that. I'm wondering where this is leading to me. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I don't know when babies start to walk or generally when yeah. they start to like fuck around with walking and stuff like that. Um, so, but what yeah, was when that? When they like, start to fuck around with it. <laughs> fuck around with walking, fucking babies. Just picture him having a smoke, just like, you know what, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try out this thing Yeah, they're going to start fucking walking around with this yes. walking thing. But what was the, what was the process of, of your, what was the learning process for you to get around? Like a baby that has no use of its legs. Well, I was pretty determined right away. And, um, and, you know, I, I just crawl where I needed to get. What was funny was, um. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest of ten kids. So Whoa. holy fuck, dude! I, guess, I gotta say though, you're you're half of as many kids in your family as the girl we talked to earlier today. Oh, really? Twenty, oh, who, twenty. Who, kids. By the way, has no arms or legs, and she has 
20, 19 brothers and sisters. No way. Yeah. yeah. So we just made your story way less cool for everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice try, Josh. Tune in for the previous episode. Because everyone was like, you said, <laughs> you really you said 10, and blown. everyone was like, ooh. Yeah. What, are you, <laughs> like, what are you born, 1940? <laughs> like, that's fucking nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I can't compare oh, to that. Jesus Christ, Jeez. Brian, you really tore so tell that us down. About yeah. your measly <laughs> that wasn't the point of it anyway. Okay. <laughs> were they all the same, the same parent? <laughs> no, no, actually, they're all no. adopted. They're all adopted. It doesn't count. Not all of them, but most of them. Anyway, you get the point. Keep going. (laughs) My mom had ten babies. She's the one that gets the credit. Yeah, there you go. That's that's insane. But uh, So I had all these younger brothers. Well, it was brothers for the first five were boys. And and so they would see me crawling around. and, And I was the oldest, so they would just... Do what I did, so even though they could walk, they would crawl around too. <laughs> so, God damn, that's so, cute. So my parents were like, "We can't keep on doing this. Everyone's ripping holes in their pants." So, <laughs> so they took me to um, to a place because I didn't make wheelchairs small enough for you know, a four year old at that time. They do now. They do now. Okay, um, but you and don't. So fit. and so I I remember actually this because I, I was in there and I don't remember the conversation. Um, I learned later that I guess. The person there wasn't exactly wanting to do anything, and my mom was sort of like, you got to do something for him. Can you just make something? And we had looked at, like, these uh, sort of makeshift things that he was working on, and he said, no, he couldn't. And I don't remember that part, but I remember, I guess, as we were driving away, I was just waving at the guy after he just shot down my mom and said, no, I'm not making your child anything. And I guess I just laid the guilt on him because he called a couple days later and built sort of, it was like a skateboard with like, wheels fine. on it. Yeah. Fine. Hey, kid, give me that skateboard. That was, uh, it was like pretty awesome. It was, you know, it was my, my little way of uh, getting around. It was, um, it was basically a board with wheels that I pushed on it. Uh, did like your, a skateboard. Did your brothers get jealous then? I gave I, I gave people rides and they stole <laughs> it and you know all of that. You mentioned you mentioned that you 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 said learning to stand. That was mm-hmm. some. What do you what do you mean by learning to stand? Like were you yeah. like when you were after the surgeries and everything? Were you left like most your legs? Uh, well, they're par- I'm partially all, paralyzed, so I can stand up and walk, holding on to things uh, a little bit, and I have some feeling still. Um, oh, okay. But you know, it was just about figuring things out and. Um, you know, I say that this is, you know, it's a controversial thing to say, but it's the best thing that could have happened to me. And I don't, and I don't ever wish that I could walk. I don't ever think about it. Mm. Um, I remember thinking about it once when I was seven and I'm sure I thought about it another time, you know, kind of preteens. Um, but you know, being born with something that was physically something I had to overcome, it taught me how to adapt. Mm -hmm. It taught me how to get where I wanted. It taught me how all right, if there's cookies on the top shelf, I got to figure out how to get there. And, you know, so it was, it was taking those physical obstacles. And then I learned that this mindset and this approach is how um, I started dealing with everything else in my life with then playing sports and adapting to figure out how to play, you know, sports with kids on the street and, you know, play hockey or whatever. And then to everyday life, school, work, Jobs, whatever. Do you think that you never really thought about walking because you like? like uh, let me rephrase that. Do you think that if you had started life off walking and then you lose that ability, that you would have been thinking about it a lot more after that? Or, or do you think because you you never had the ability, it's like, well, why the fuck would I think about yeah, it? Yeah, it's always it's not your life. It's always a thing that you know always is a question that comes up. I mean, 
you know, we're people that like security. We're people that like what we're familiar with. And um, obviously, it's a greater loss if you've had something and know fully what it's like to -hmm. live and then, you know, incur a disease or illness or disability. Um, So it was a lot more of an adjustment. But, I mean, in the end, um, you know, we all have the capability and ability and, and... but, you know, not always necessarily the people surrounding us or the environment or the resources um, to, to cope the same way. Um, and it's always, you know, a result of our previous experiences, et cetera, mm-hmm. as well. It so. seems like a through line with almost everybody that we've ever talked to that yeah. has something from their earliest memories uh-huh. that they've always – that they were born with or, mm-hmm. or near born with in your case um, that they don't – they don't really think about it. They don't put too much thought into that process. They don't think too much about it. Even if, like, I mean, I mean, you can speak to that, Jerry, even with CF. I mean, you say all the time that you wouldn't want to. Uh, Jeremy has CF, by the way, if no one if knew. If y'all didn't know, <laughs> that's a sick fibrosis. <laughs> anyway, well, that, you, that you wouldn't trade it in. But that seems to be the through line through, through people mean, with it, those yeah, experiences. Yeah, and we've heard that from... Like almost every single guest that we've talked to, you know, like they wouldn't trade their experience in for anything else because it's made them who they are today. Right. There's no one that said, yes, I would. Right. Not a single person. Obstacles help us grow, help us, you know, learn, become stronger. And, and, you know, that's the beauty of it. And when you, when you realize that no matter what throughout life, you're always going to have obstacles no matter Mm. what. But when you learn that it's just about how you deal with them and that it's through these obstacles that you grow um, and that's, you know, and the most simplest form, that's why I love sport and got in sport because it's a microcosm for life. It's voluntarily throwing obstacles in front of yourself, you know, doesn't make the losses easier, yeah. but you know that you're going to learn more from the losses as opposed to the ones that you win. Well, where did that start? Where did that start? Where did the, where did the sport, where did sports start to play a role in your life? Was, was that there? you or was that your parents? Because I know I was forced into sports. Right, right. As a part of cystic fibrosis, it yeah. was like, yo, your lungs are shit. Mm-hmm. You need to be physically active. Mm-hmm. So fucking get into it. Right. right. And I had no choice, and I really wanted to just be lazy and play video games. Right. No, I just, I loved, I loved hockey. Hockey was, you know, what I loved playing, and we played road hockey and whatever um, all the time. Um, and that was, that was me and... Um, and, uh, you know, obviously a competitive nature, a bunch of siblings. And <laughs> What's the logistics of road hockey on a wheelchair? Like I'm picturing if I was to try that, I would have the stick in one hand and then my other hand would just be focusing on uh, moving, but I would just be like, going in circles. Going in circles. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I played on my knees, so I played like uh, butterfly style. Like Patrick oh. Wall was my favorite, so it was like I was permanent down in V butterfly style and so you were to the get goal. across. You were, you were and, yeah. keeping to the net. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Dude, it's, yeah. it's sweet that it's makes a lot of sense. <laughs> all those siblings to, mm-hmm. to like play with as well. But, and you mentioned that sometimes <laughs> you, would, you would adapt uh, what you were doing to be able to be involved yeah. with the other kids. But was there ever a time that you felt excluded or there there wasn't an ability to an adapt to to adapt to a situation right well um you know with my brothers and sisters like growing up i mean it's what they knew and what they knew of me right so that was that and and the same with my parents being the oldest of 10 i had my responsibilities you know i had i was a big brother taking care of the kids so there was no special treatment and i think that's the big sort of question you know it's how do you over how do you give a child enough attention and care um versus what's over overdoing it you know there's the two ends of the spectrum um but i mean amongst my brothers and and siblings i mean (laughs) 
I think they would they would testify that they wouldn't try and get away with stuff with me because I'd, I'd eventually catch them. Yeah. <laughs> so and those are some pretty big shoulders. Too, so <laughs> right. I, yeah, I but, was sort of big brother well, protector, but in school, yes, yeah. there was uh, there was there was times. I think I think uh, it depended on what school too. It was uh, interesting. You know, moving around school to school in the military, there were schools where you know be amazing. You know, everyone had great friends. Everyone was really cool accepting, go to another school, and then, you know, get bullied all the time. So um, so it was all just kind of dependent on the experience. And majority of the teachers I had, and there were some special ones that, you know, stood out that always made a very conscious effort for, you know, including or figuring out or helping how to adapt or ask, ask how. Um, and, you know, luckily for me, the motivation, I mean, was just always there for me. I always wanted to try. I always wanted to take part. And 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 usually that was that was available, but things was, like recess, I wasn't always you know because that's up to everyone else if they wanted to let me play or not, right? Was that back and forth experience kind of tough? Like when you, I mean, I can imagine if you go, I mean, similar to how uh, when I went to school, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, every like three or four years I would switch schools. So I did like half of elementary in one school, the second half in another, and junior right. high, high school. Uh, and you know every school has its own flavor. Like right. you're saying, you go to school or school. Was that tough to go from one school that was that was totally cool, and then another mm-hmm. that was just fucking with you, and then another one that's yeah. totally cool again? Like, I think I think I think I'm, I think I moved eight times before I was nine. Jesus, and then well, that's when my I dad mean, the left military the military. Life. Yeah, so um, so you know it was part of the way. It was the last one that I think was the toughest, the final, the final one. Um, but. You know, at the earlier years, I I don't know. Kids are kids too, and there's always going to be someone like, oh, he has a Ninja Turtle. I have a Ninja Turtle. Cool, Pff, best friends. You know, and that's it. Right? That's actually how all so. three of us met. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were at a Ninja Turtles convention, convention. together. Yeah. yeah, But that's what's the beauty about kids. I mean, kids are so innocent. They're so honest. They, you know, they'll have a question too. You know, yeah. and dealing with stigma and disease and illness, and you know, getting things out there. A kid's going to go up to you. Kids still go up to me and just like. Hey, what's wrong? What Kids happened? just don't you know? give a shit. They're just like that's oh, right. They're right, curious. Cool. It's honest, and Sweet. you know, yeah. and whatever. And and I mean, obviously, there's adults too that you know. Sometimes I'll have someone come up behind me. Hey, hey, hey! What's the matter with you? <laughs> 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 Nothing. What's the matter with you? <laughs> You're lazy. <laughs> Get on that wheelchair. Like, I would never. <laughs> I would never approach anybody know, right? like that, especially with <laughs> biceps like yours. Hey, what's the matter with you? I'm sorry, please don't kill me. We interviewed a girl today who has a cane, and she's like in her mid-20s, and she was like, yeah, people over Toronto are like, hey, hey, what's that cane for? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Who's doing this? Who are these people? Grow up. Called, are been, any of you guys those people? Yeah. Oh, God, I hope not. She's been called cane girl more oh, than once. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. craziness. Yeah. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Uh, bringing it back to Josh and and to sports, uh, I'm I'm curious about you know. So you started off with hockey, and you yeah. want you pretty much wanted to just like dig your uh, fuck. I was gonna say dig your heels and everything, but oh, that's dig it probably, in. Uh, sorry, <laughs> dig your wheels and everything. Come on. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> oh, shit. 
Oh, fuck. All right, I got another funny one for you. Yes, please. So uh, just to, you know, redeem you, I mean, it doesn't actually really matter. I don't care. But it was really funny because I was leaving out of the elevator the other day. Um, someone, <laughs> someone, as the elevator was close. Oh, never mind. I don't even have the punchline. Don't worry. I got here. I'll give you some time. But it was some time. It was. Okay. Do you want some time? Go for it. So uh, we have this guy who's on the podcast all the time, Brandon. Uh, He had an osteosarcoma and had his leg amputated. So I was uh, having sushi with him the other night, and we walked into the restaurant. He's on his crutches, and some guy goes, "Hey, what happened to your leg?" And he just looked at him. He goes, "I don't have one." (laughs) And the guy was just mortified. He didn't know what he had said. He like. He didn't even realize that Brandon didn't have a leg. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? But it was great. It was awesome to be there in that moment because Brandon's so cool about it. He was just like, oh, yeah. Man, there's just not one there. Don't have one, man. So then we talked about the guy for like 20 minutes. Uh, And gave him a really bad tip. Yeah, we were assholes. I remember the punchline. Yes, I want to hear this. It was, as I was talking about going away for a race or whatever, and just as the door is closing, he's like, all right, take care. Break a leg. And the door shut, (laughs) and I just lost it. Because you know as soon as that door closed, you went... Yeah, I went. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't care. I was, I was dying in the hallway, knowing he's probably, you know, torturing himself. Oh yeah. I don't care. That's so good. Matter, but it was funny. So coming back to your your sport, uh, your love of sport. um, uh, When did you? So here's the thing that I I think that a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, you are, you're, you're. Sorry if this is like I, you know, to like make you blush, but uh, you're kind of a big deal in the in the sports world for people in who are living with a disability. You are. Wait, a, wait, whoa, whoa, one sec. What about that word disability? Do you are you okay with it? I don't care. I mean, some. I don't know. I don't care. There's so many different it's, political it's okay correctness. Not to be, though, Do you know because... the origin of handicap? No. So no, I learned this us. from I learned this from travels and being in UK. So it's the taboo word there. Because it originates from people who had disabilities needing to beg for money. So Handy, Cap, that's their nickname. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Crazy. Yeah. Damn, so basically, you, you got but... your beggar sticker in the front dash yeah. for this party? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Uh, so someone so it, it come, and yeah, like there is a good Para question. Para athlete. I mean, what is there? Is there terms like that you prefer or? I don't. I don't know. I don't care. I don't really get Who caught gives up. A in shit? It. Some people get caught up in it more than others, and it. Some yeah. people can find it more offensive. And I mean, there are some things that you know can be can be ignorant or whatever. But you just mm-hmm. have to realize that that's all it is. Is it's ignorance, and yeah. it's not necessarily somebody's fault, and they just need you know to. To learn and be exposed, yeah, and et cetera. Yeah, we talked a lot about like we talked a lot about recently about um, just like uh, just on the on the topic of of words and political correctness or or what words you should use. We talked a lot about just using language and being um, like what what language is not necessarily using different words, but changing what the meanings of certain words are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for, like for example, just like the handicap, right. I would never know that that's what handicap meant. Yeah. So the meaning of handicap when I use it is, or if I were to use it, is it's not changing. It's not. It's not. It's not pejorative. It's not putting anyone down. It's mm-hmm. using it as like, oh, someone who's in a wheelchair or something like that. Whereas maybe in another place, it's it's pejorative because of the original meaning of it. Right. So talking about using, changing, maybe changing the meanings around some of the words that we use. And maybe right. we don't need to go into this because it's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. But, but. I, I do think it's important though. It's like you have this idea in your head, and these are the words that <laughs> make that idea in other people's heads. But 
Just for the people that can't see, he's putting his hand in his yeah. mouth, and it was beautiful. <laughs> but, yeah, very, very handsy talker. The word, just because you used the wrong word doesn't mean the idea in your head changed. However, I think it's an indicator of lack of education yeah. based on the words that you use or misuse if it offends somebody else. Which is why we have these conversations. And yeah. it's always going to change. I mean, obviously, like mental illness, that's the big thing right now. Bell, let's talk. And obviously, <laughs> mental illness, there's a stigma associated with it, and it doesn't have to be something to be afraid of. So it's always going to yeah. be a progression. It's always going to be... You know, people figuring it out, hopefully, over time. So I'm curious to know how you... So you are a wheelchair racer. Is mm-hmm. that... And now, did I just offend you right there no. by saying that? Of course <laughs> not. Jesus Christ. Just, I'm fucking kidding. Uh, you're a wheelchair racer, right? Yeah. Is that is that what the term is, actually, though? It's called, uh, I'm a racist. A racist? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know what? I bet that always kills. I we're bet not, that always we're kills. Not going, we're not going to have to worry about turns uh, anymore now. Fucking great. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you race your wheelchair. <laughs> yes. Um, and you do that kind of on a big platform, right? Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> kind of like the biggest. Yeah, like the biggest. You've raced all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, how, so before we get into like your accolades, because I do want to know about that, because I don't, I actually purposely didn't look into the things that you did because I That's wanted fine. to learn while we're here. Sure. Um, but I know that you have done some pretty incredible things. But before we get to that, how did you start, how did you get into th- that sport? Uh, just tried it out in high school. There wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, talking about inclusion. I wasn't able to play any extracurricular sports. It was no problem in gym class or whatever. But outside of that, there was the health and safety risk of a wheelchair and other people playing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so that was something I tried out and I was watching the 2000 Sydney Olympics, um, when I was about that time, started high school and, um, and then our, uh, Canadian Jeff Adams did really well. And, um, and that's what got me interested and, and wanted to start it out, and uh, and then yeah, it was pretty much on my on my own from there. It's a very individual sport, and um, first national team I made was two thousand and five. And so, when you get into that sport, like um, I guess you know, you're saying it's an individual sport, but obviously there's uh, coaching involved. Like right. you would, you, you don't join a team, but you have a coach who mm-hmm. kind of like helps you excel. Um, was your coach, your first coach, a coach who specialized in people who race wheelchairs or was it like, yeah, I'm the track coach. So like I push hard. Yeah. Well, I kind of got into it and it was a pretty crazy, it was a sort of like a fateful story because (laughs) you know what though, after all of the years at the very end, that is the most, that's what it comes down to. Just push hard and fast out of all of the specifics, all of the, (laughs) but, uh, the funny story or the fate, the fateful, I guess, story of, of it was in my small hometown, Port Elgin, um, which is about two hours North. There was a Paralympic head coach who was there on business and was at the same restaurant I was at, um, with some friends and, and he just approached me and asked me if I was interested. I had just started and he lent me my first chair and got me in contact with, um, uh, who my, one of my longtime coach would be, um, a man fader from Ottawa. And so, um, so yeah, so that sort of got the ball rolling and got me, got me into it. And, um, what's the chair set up for, uh, for a race, race chair? Uh, easier to show. It's three wheels. Yeah, Maybe well, that's we, a good what, time to show Yeah, let's throw video. that fucking Do commercial. Do you want to toss okay. this up here? We've got a, we've got a little, com- uh, Josh just did a commercial with, uh, with Sportcheck that we're going to throw up here as a bit of a visual. Um, for you guys, we probably won't have sound, but uh, that's okay. We can right. talk you through it. <laughs> I'll do my best, Ron Burgundy. Over, over yeah. If you want to commentate, we would. That would be yeah, totally cool. Oh, Bry was on it. <laughs> Look at you. 
And then after, we're going to watch 10 ambiguous film endings, yes. which is up next. Yeah, we on, just, on we just sink into a YouTube hole. Don't know why it's connected with me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three, two, one, go. The secret to success Oh, fuck yeah. Look at that thing. Everything else, competition, results, even illness, are all beyond your control. A week before the games, I was setting equal to world record times in all my training sessions. And Josh Cassidy now holds the world record for the Boston Marathon. And then, when I got to London, I was hit with a bacteria infection the week that mattered most. To have something that I couldn't control was crushing. Josh immediately set his sights on redemption in New York. I'm doing Did you just do a chin up in a wheelchair? <laughs> Holy fuck! What are you, Vin Diesel? <laughs> do you usually look that angry when you work out? <laughs> Dude, that is fucking sweet. I'm just yeah, imagining right, you like right, attaching right. a no, no, car to your waist. Can you can you bring up a, a chill of his of his chair? Can you can you uh, fast forward to a still of his chair? Do they have the, are the are the spirals on the side designed to make the competition throw up <laughs> as you as they go up beside you? Well, I designed it, so uh, you know that if people complain about it, I'm sorry, that's not my problem. It's just a cool Dude. visual, man. Yeah, yeah man. I thought of it. I thought of it, and I thought of you know I had to hurry up and do it before someone else. Uh, so hold that would on, honestly, sort of my trademark. I'd be like yeah. looking over at you, going. <laughs> um, so when you I, actually this the one thing that I did do before you before we met was uh-huh. I I just googled your name and wanted to look at like what what you you looked like in the mm-hmm. chair and I thought that you had um, you were an amputee right not the case so I'm you're in actually a just sitting position. on your knees yeah. okay you're just tucked in as tight as possible so that you're the most aerodynamic position yeah. and it's not comfortable, especially since yeah. I do have feeling. And <laughs> since I do have some functionality, it's actually a disadvantage because I've got more dead weight that I'm carrying with me in the mm. chair as well, which is kind of ironic. Dude, <laughs> I like the part in the video where they said that you held the world record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was That's a good part of the video. Pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you still hold the world record? I do. And yeah, I, I, read, I read the, like, the first, like, Five lines on your Wikipedia page are are like I don't know what the, the fuck whole, is it what? That, no I'm saying what the fuck like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I'm just like look at this guy how do we Everything nail this changed. guy like how do we get him in the fucking studio this is great so what what's the deal what's the what's the con- the controversy or the deal with the Boston Marathon so Boston is is not an official IAAF World Record course because um, because the elevation it basically is only allowed to drop. Uh, one meter per kilometer um, from Whoa. the start to the finish. Oh, so, really? That's uh, a so like average over the course. The final over, yes. So, yeah. so even though Boston has like oh, the average, humongous okay. heartbreak hill that it's legendary for, it's like 10k of climbing three quarters of the way through. Oh, um, the final point is still is still lower than the fr- than the front, and it's all or than the start, and it's all one direction as well. So, depending on the winds, it can. I mean, it's the hardest marathon I've ever done, and it's felt like the easiest. So, um, so it's uh, it's it's the world's fastest time, but it's not considered the, Wait, the but, world record. But. It be- because there's a climb, 
It doesn't that make it harder? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Well, there's generally, generally, then there's more downhills than uphills in it. So oh, I think okay. it's like a forty. I'll tell you, it doesn't feel necessarily like. I bet it does, depending on the wind and what, whatever. What too, are the right? distances? What are the distances for wheelchair races? Are they? Are they? Well, the same? marathon is forty-two kilometers. Right, so, same as so same my as marathon record was an hour and eighteen. 25. Whoa. Damn. So you're going like, what, what's the, what's like running? So you're going like twice as fast? Uh, well, my average, I think, was like 30, 32 kilometers an hour about. Jesus. So I, now you, you're doing this with, uh, this is against, are you doing it against any other people in wheelchairs? Or it's just like you're just yeah. doing your own thing on, on. Well, usually we have big packs. And I mean, the sport has got so competitive, even in the final sprints after 42 kilometers. Like first place to seventh place can be three seconds. Holy Whoa, shit! After forty-two kilometers, so do when you, guys, you get down to that, it's is it bumpy? Brutal. You know, like what, uh, it all running, depends like, on the I, course. All yeah. depends on the course. But in this particular race, it was there was a lot of there was like the previous winner, the nine-time winner, the the previous world record or world's fastest, the gold medalist from the Olympics. So uh, for the Paralympics, and and so. So there was a big field, but I ended up being on my own at the front from about 10 kilometers in for the rest. So, well, Are there any countries that are just, like, really killing it in the wheelchair race? Like, you know, like, like generally, like... Um, I would uh, say J- Japan has a very strong team. It, I mean, it all, it all kind of just depends on, you know, on the community. And, and the UK is going to be fantastic for a long time to come because they did such a spectacular job with the Paralympic Games. When I got off the plane for the Paralympics, and you know how coverage here is for, for the Games, um, like completely different. They had a channel 24-7 coverage, got off the plane, and as you're going on to the, I guess it's the M1 or the M4, into the City of London, the humongous billboard that was, thanks for the warm-up, Paralympics begin. This week, blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. It was like pretty that. cool. And they just, like, they, they knew how to market. They knew how to deal with it. They had a, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I think it's called um, uh, The Last Leg was a talk show that they had. Basically, every night after the Paralympic Games, they had people on with disabilities. And it was like a talk show, but it was just, I mean, it's, it's sort of the similar, you know, uh, similar mission that you guys have. It's just getting things out there in the open, talking about it, not making it such a big deal. Mm. You know, when you have the guy, it's called the last leg of like a relay, but the guy who hosted the show is an amputee. So, I mean, right. <laughs> Clever. That sets the, that sets the, the tone. So, um, you know, they had sold out stadiums every single day and, and, and just this awareness just changed everything. You know, everything between the Paralympic and Olympics were equal and people saw, um, you know, the value. Some events are just as competitive as the Olympics are more competitive in terms of the level of eliteness. And, you know, like I said, a marathon for us. Was this the first Paralympics you had gone to? Uh, Beijing. Beijing and then London, okay. Rio. Now, out of the two of those, did it? was there like um, a greater sense of like pride or, or um, be- because there was more recognition or because it didn't feel secondary to to the Olympics? Yeah, that in that way, it definitely, I mean, in most ways, it did very well. I mean, uh, Beijing was my first, so there's always going to be your first games experience, yeah. first time, yeah. you know, you see the torch being lit, which I never expected to be, you know, an emotional moment, but it was being on the field and getting to see that, that you had made it there. And, and obviously, China and the numbers there are just, you know, the stadium was 90,000, which is double the Sky Dome, I believe. Well, what are so, your what are your um, on that topic of coverage? I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's amazing that London 
mm-hmm. the London Games made made that major push to 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 bring everything level. Yeah, because I mean, here in Canada, I, I, and I want to know what your opinion is on Canadian coverage in terms of the Paralympics because. I know that I feel mm-hmm. I feel like it's underrepresented because I never really hear that much about it. Yeah, and uh, and especially in the way that when you watch some of these sports, mm-hmm. they're fucking crazy. Yeah, there's some pretty cool ones out there. It's mm-hmm. so insane. Well, I have a couple of thoughts on that. So I, obviously, it's it's yeah, it's definitely not as equal or where it should be. It's definitely growing, and there's you know. There are people out there that are trying to increase uh, increase coverage. Um, you know, some some periodicals and things like. I mean, when I won the record, you know, it was first page of, uh, I think it was Toronto Star, National Post. So there are some that you know it, it gets good coverage at times, but um, it's that it's one of those things that no one's willing to take that risk on something. And Channel Four in the UK did that. Right. They were looking at it as a marketing thing, but it turned out to be humongously profitable because people are interested in. People, yeah, <laughs> everyday yeah. real people that are overcoming obstacles, which everybody has in life. Some are physical, and there are many that aren't. So realizing that and identifying in with the stories that go with these athletes that are doing just the same things that the able-bodied it, athletes do. And it's so, it's so nuts. Like Bill Murray had that famous tweet that went out um, in Rio that said uh, it was like every sport should have – uh, an, an unathletic, or I think he said normal. I think every, oh, every, yeah. every, every event should have a normal person competing in the event just for reference, <laughs> just so you can see like how ridiculous these humans are. And I mean, if you put anyone, I mean, dude, you put me in a fucking wheelchair racer, and yeah. like I'm obviously gonna probably pass out in the first 5K, or my shoulders will fall off. And if, if we put ourselves in any of these situations, mm-hmm. these are extraordinary circumstances that we would not last in for a second but like uh, but and and so you can make an argument for the fact that why isn't it more popular because more there's more people well i shouldn't say that because i don't really know but it seems to me as if there's more people that have could could never do it could never don't even have the opportunity to do it really let alone excel at it well i would love it for it to be opened up to everyone obviously there's different levels so obviously i mean anyone i'd be happy for anyone to get in a wheelchair and take racing seriously. Obviously, if it was the quadriplegic division where the arms are affected as well, that wouldn't be necessarily a, wouldn't not necessarily. It definitely wouldn't be the same playing field. Mm. Um, some of the great things that have been done to increase awareness and legitimize is you know having top athletes in the respect discipline on you know the able-bodied side competing so you know having you know the UK had a, a soccer player that did a fundraiser and he trained for like a year in a in a racing wheelchair to get yeah to raise funds so you know having someone who's regarded as you know a multi-million dollar athlete over there and then you know train for a year and I think he did I did well I think he did like two and a half two hours and a half but over an hour longer right or like a tennis I think it was uh, Dojkovic just the other week Oh, what he do? What uh, he played against um, played against one of the Aussie guys. Um, I haven't followed tennis very much, so I don't remember what his name is. But basically, the the top Aussie guy yeah. got on the court during the Australia Open, and and got Dojkovic in a chair live. And I mean, it was pretty hilarious. Well, oh, pretty did he funny. just did he totally? Yeah, did I he think just it was just like, like all right. Fool? So he like did one, 
did it to him. Tojkovic got it back. Okay, okay, all right. Another couple, he's like, all right, you're going to have to move. And it was literally only just like just beyond an arm's length away. And he just sort of scrambled and yeah. couldn't. I find, yeah. it, I find it really interesting that you said that uh, Channel 4 in the UK was, was willing to take a, a gamble on, on investing in, into that. But it's weird. If you think about it from a marketing perspective, mm-hmm. the <coughs> stories that we tell about Olympians, mm-hmm. you have to dig for. They're not, they're not as apparent. If you look at somebody that's in the Olympics, you have no idea their background. Right. But if you look at, like if, when I see you in the wheelchair, there's, mm-hmm. there's this symbolism there. There's, there's a story in, in the imagery that's right. on its own. That's right. So to me, I don't really think that... Well, from a marketing perspective, it makes complete sense, and it makes complete sense to someone who is you know, aware or, or knows the stories. But from a business perspective, you know, anything that's new or different is a gamble because, you know, you're, you're waiting to see what the ratings will be and what the... So, I mean, it's unfortunate because Channel 4 came and tried to push that over here too, but I know that the budget wasn't there, I guess, for it. Well, I guess uh, it sucks that it didn't, it didn't spill from London to... Rio. To Rio. Yeah. You know... Uh, I, just to change it up just a little bit, uh, if that's okay. Um, I, you know, we're sitting here talking about, um, basically from the very beginning, we've been talking about how you have looked at everything as this, as this challenge and you've just overcome and you've, (laughs) you've done some fucking amazing things. And, uh, I know that for sure with the, without the use of your legs there, that life can be challenging. And I'm wondering what you think your your greatest challenge has ever ever been. I think it would probably be the same with what most people deal with. It's you know a relationship problem. It's a family problem. Mm. It's it's a uh, you know missing out on a job or losing a race or, mm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, this was something I conquered a long time ago. Yeah. So while I have daily obstacles, I know how to deal with them. You know, have you, has your, um, has your, your disability yeah. ever, uh, been an issue in terms of relationship? Uh, no, I don't no? think so. What was no. dating life like? Actually, you know what? Before I go into Actually, that, that's a good don't, um, no, uh, yeah, no. no, we're doing it. No, uh, our, we sat down with a guy yeah. named Josh uh, Duick, who yes. was a uh, Paralympic uh, sit skier. Yo, you know, oh, you know Josh, yeah. fucking oh, sorry, great guy. Josh Duick. I was thinking about another Josh. Yeah, so I know many Joshes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So many Joshes. I didn't tell I you Josh this. Too. I didn't tell you this. <laughs> I didn't want to scare you, but anyway. Uh, so Josh Duick uh, severed his spine in a skiing accident, and he now races from uh, uh, sit ski. And, yeah. Uh, amazing first guy athlete. to do the backflip. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So first question, we sit Fuck, down and Brian sits down with him. It was goes, like 7.30 in the morning. It was 7.30 <laughs> in the morning. The very first question that comes out of Brian's mouth is like, yeah, so thanks for sitting with us. Uh, so I got a question. Does your dick work? <laughs> <laughs> and we're, and we're like... Jesus Christ, Brian. Save it for later. We're going to butter him up for a on that question. And it actually ended up uh, being an incredibly um, like he just turned, eye-opening he, conversation. He turned to Jeremy and he was like, you remember last night, right? And Jeremy's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, it does. So I am, I, you, you, were, you were saying earlier that you have, your part, you have partial feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on like uh, under, below the belt? Sure. And, and I don't mean just your I'm dick. just going to stand up and <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> He's cured. I'm, I'm fully torqued right now. Uh, and I don't mean just below the belt as in, like, your dick, but I am curious about that. But also, like, your legs as well. Like, can you flex your... Is there, like, is there movement? Yeah, I got to... Uh, I don't... Yeah, my quads seem to be growing recently. I don't know what I'm doing. My mom thinks I'm working them out, but I'm not. I don't know why she's checking out my quads anyways, but anyway. I'm just but, concerned, you know? Just yeah. Like, oh, Josh, you eating enough? <laughs> your, your quads are still bigger than Jeremy's. They, oh, dude. Uh, they are. They, they are. are. They actually are. And that is funny because you use those. I do. I, do. I walk a lot. Yeah. I have CF, guys. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but... Uh, Oh, you're malnourished. Yeah, right. Malnourished. right, 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 right. Uh, but, uh, well, it's something that obviously needs to get out there, and that's a question that's taboo, and probably for people that would assume that people in a wheelchair couldn't have sex, that that would be, you know, a deterrent right away from even approaching somebody in the first place. So, yeah. you know, I don't know everybody in everyone's situation, so I can't, you know, but I can't you can speak, speak as a speak whole. To your own. I can speak to my own, and I can speak to most that... Um, there's a way. There's a will. There's a way. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a will. Uh, well, ha- but is luckily there, like, for l- luckily for me, I I, I didn't. Um, I wasn't affected um, really in that way. So um, you can naturally. Same, you don't have to rely on uh, Viagra or Cialis or something like that. No. Okay. Um, and you know, I think I. You know, it's probably. I mean, I, I wasn't ever completely. Uh, you know, 100% and then have an accident occurred to think that it would, would be any different otherwise. Right. But I'm, I'm, you know, if anything, maybe I would say if I have, you know, certain muscles and, and things work and certain things have feeling, maybe I'm, you know, missing like 5% or 4% of, of, of sensation or something like that. Sure, but, sure, sure. But I think that something as well, which is, um, obviously uh obviously stigmatized and, and you don't know about and it's tough for people to talk about and people who are severe that don't have um or aren't able to i mean with today there there are very easy ways that you know it's it's just a different way of of figuring it out yeah. just like anything um you know maybe a guy can't uh well, this is well this is an r rated anyways but right but i mean maybe a guy can't stand up and against the wall, but, you know, maybe a guy standing up against the wall can't lift somebody up and throw them around, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, hey! I mean, I'm just, I'm being real. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just thinking on the top of my head here. I love it. Uh, But I'll tell you you something funny, though, like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah! Oh, my Lord! But I'll, but he did that. <laughs> he did do that. He did do that. But to get like to the the very first question though, I, I mean, I think I've I've it definitely was more difficult dating people. I think in high school because of yeah. stigma, perception, image is the most important, obviously during high school age. Um, but uh, you know, since like I mean, I go through go if I you know go to a club and it's very. I just almost look at it as it's it's actually like a great filter because there are girls that would actually, you know, see me maybe sitting at a bar behind a table and are interested. And as soon as they see the chair, gone. See you. Right. right. And obviously they were interested until that. Right. So for someone that obviously knows there's something instead of seeing it as, all right, this person has a disability, seeing it as something they can't do. And then there's, you know, the people out there, obviously, that obviously the opposite this person has something that they're dealing with 
I'm sure this has right. helped them become something else because of it or et cetera, et cetera. They obviously look like it doesn't bother them. Are you dating anybody right now? I am. Oh, yeah. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, it is really important to talk about. We had this conversation earlier today with one of our guests that we recorded with um, about how, like, if we were to think about all the things that we think about on a daily basis, it's like, uh, how do I get fed? How do I get rest? How do I fuck? How do I, like, do – and how do I exercise? These are, like, yeah. some of the, the main things that recur as thoughts in our head every day. Yeah. But when we talk about illness or disability or mental health or whatever, we – we kind of, we seem to gloss over the sexual out the sexuality part, mm-hmm. and it's really important. Even and, and regardless of whether you have no issue or it's like, yeah, I got to take this or I got to take that or I or I can't. It's mm-hmm. important to talk about that because it's such a huge part, not for everybody, but it can be a massive part of right. of the human experience to be <laughs> sexual, mm-hmm. and it is really important to to talk about that. So yeah. we're, I thank you for your openness. Yeah, no yeah. problem for sure. Um, I you know. Rewinding back to the question that I asked you maybe like 10 minutes ago about what was the biggest challenge you faced in your life, um, a little bit of a different kind of perspective on, on uh, that sort of question. What was, what's the proudest moment of your life? Um, well, I mean, obviously winning Boston is an easy one to go to. Um, I think what made that one so special was because I had a pretty hard winter leading up. Uh, I was in Australia. My grandmother, the day I, I got there, was very sick mm. and apparently only had days to live. And and she made it for another couple of years beyond that. Um, but it was everything kind of at once. And everyone knows when the world comes crumbling down and there's that downward spiral, right? So it was, you know, racing wasn't uh, all of a sudden wasn't going really well. Um, I was going through a breakup. There was some family stuff. There was financial stuff, team funding, politics um, I was having equipment, equipment problems down there. And then what really topped it off was, uh, was I, wasn't, I was ill and couldn't get to the bottom of what was going on. And uh, eventually I uh, went to the hospital. They wanted me to, to come in because they wanted to check to make sure I didn't have cancer come back, which usually after five years of remission, you know, you're, you're usually good. Um, and it was actually in that moment that I was finally just like, my head was out of it. I was like, if that's what it is, great. Now I know what I can fight. And and, and sometimes, you know, too, I mean, <laughs> like I said, you get kind of caught in that downward spiral and um, and everybody does. And so it's, I, I knew that I just had to practice what I, what I preach and what I've always known my whole life, that if I'm, you know, if I believe and I'm passionate and I work hard, that with time, things always get better. Always. It's just a matter of how long. So I ended up being find, you know, coming out of it. But what really got me out of it was um, I had a message from uh, a family in the UK and they had a little girl who had the same type of cancer as me, uh, neuroblastoma. And she was four years old and, um, and her parents just sent a very nice flattering message just about how, uh, you know, how, how great it was to see someone with the same disability later on in life be able to do do what I've been able to do since. Um, so she was dealing with the f- second round of treatment. They were trying to get her a second round because she didn't get the first round didn't work and it was going to cost four hundred thousand pounds because they had to go out of country because the first one didn't work. And they told her parents, you know, to make her comfortable when she was running around playing with her little sister, you know, just fine. And so for me, uh, 
you know, we all think we have the worst problems, you know, and there's always someone out there that always is going through something else, you know, that's worse. And that also helped me get out of myself. And I decided that I was going to do the London Marathon for her because they're in the UK. And I got them finish line seats. And it was my goal and my motivation to win that race. Again, I won it in 2010. And this was 2012. And I wanted to spend my interview time to just scoop her up, bring her on the camera, talk about her charity. And that was my motivation to get her the funding to go. So I set up a pretty hard situation already because it was the first year I decided to do Boston and London back to back, which is Ooh. six days. <laughs> Not a lot of time. What? So I just had better, to better s- up your uh, your wheelchair. That's right. Up, uh, and I just uh, had <laughs> I just had like I said, it was like a month or so of horrible training. And but I mean, again, it's like you got to let go of of the past and what's you know, cause harm once, once you've learned from it and move forward. So instead of looking at the month and a half that I lost, look ahead at the month and a half I had left and make it the best training I ever had. Well, Boston was the first one and it went pretty well as obviously as you saw. So going from that moment of, of, you know, going through the worst and then to get there, it's always amazing when you go through these things because you can always look back. Once you get through them once, you can look back at it again and then be able to say, I've done this once. Now I know I can do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, when those same situations happen or different, it makes it so much easier and it gives you strength and it gives you confidence. And, and so that's what made me um, so proud for that. Um, now, to continue on with the story, though, she, I went to London and she ended up being sick with pneumonia. So went from this high, high of winning Boston, confidence high, getting there, and then finding out she wasn't going to make it to the start line. So we went there to visit, and she wasn't doing so well. And um, and I've never been nervous before a race before. My whole life, like Beijing, 90,000 spectators, first games. Like the first time I was, the most calm I was, was when I first stepped into, into that stadium. But for, for her, it was different. Like I, I literally put her life on my shoulders and um and so I didn't sleep I had found out what butterflies were for the first time and um and I had a great first half but uh but just blew out halfway and um so I had her picture on the back of my 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 sweater so I was maybe seventh or eighth or I don't know what I came but I came around the finish and I finished backwards so that her thing came first because I was just trying to get as much coverage as I could um but in the end, three three weeks later, she passed away. So that was something that was um, extremely tough. You know, this it was a roller coaster year, and um, but I think something that's important from that, and I wish I had a picture of her here because she's just beautiful. Uh, her her charity was Neve's, Neve's Next Step. It's uh, it's spelled N I A M H, um, and and what's amazing though is. You know, this little four-year-old had cancer, and she was smiling, you know, through it all. And I've gone to visit hospitals to kids lots of times. I go back there, and you have these kids dealing with horrible illness, and, and they're just smiling, and, and they're happy through it all. And what adults can learn from that is just, you know, it's amazing. And when we think we have problems, well, step out, go step into the, the sick kids' hospital for, for a day and see what people are dealing with Um and that was her gift. And, and in the end, I, after talking with her parents, her parents were going to keep the charity going. And her next step was supposed to be for her survival. But instead, what it's done is 
they have raised I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds for other kids with, with this. So here's a little four-year-old girl with cancer who's passed on, and she's still affecting people. Mm. You know, this is five years later. Um, so I, I give that out as a story and a self-check and, a, you know, <laughs> share that with, with everyone because it, it was something that deeply affected me in my life. Dude, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> before we... Uh... Yeah, that's her there. That's yeah, her, and the next one is her and her sister. <coughs> so that's charity still active. If, oh uh, if anyone wants to, uh, feeling uh, generous to donate. And how do you spell her name? N i a m h. Niam's next Niam's step. Niam's next step. Yeah. She's fucking adorable. Yes. <laughs> um, before we wrap it up. Um, I just want to ask a question that uh, we like to ask from time to time um, near the end of the episodes. The first, it's a, it's a two-parter. So the first one is, um, what has your experience with cancer slash, uh, you know, being confined to a wheelchair taken away from you? Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to mind is nothing. <laughs> yeah. And what has it given you? Everything yeah. I am. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's only one answer. Yeah. Uh, you know? uh, dude, you are, uh, you're, this is fucking great. Like, thanks this for having is, me, guys. Yeah, it was such a fucking pleasure to well, get Well, thank you, you, and thanks for everyone for coming, and, um, you know, like, uh, it's it's great what you guys are doing, and, and for me, this, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Everyone is dealing with stuff in their lives. It doesn't have to be, you know, a typified illness. Everyone's got obstacles. Everyone's dealing with stuff and there's always a way out and especially in today's society just remember to have that quiet time and breathe and close your eyes and uh let nothing be for a bit and that's when that's when all the answers come i think that's uh, enough said mike drop uh <laughs> it's too expensive don't drop that please don't drop that please don't drop that uh well, yeah, thank you all so much for coming out tonight. Uh, this has been a real, real pleasure, a real treat. Um, and uh, let's, just, let's just sign off. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you, Movember. Oh, fuck, again. yeah. Oh, my God. Um, thank you, Movember. They have, uh, they have been, honestly, I know I said at the beginning, but you know, the last time we came to Toronto, um, before we were at this, before they were here in this office, they... Uh, let us use their office to record all of our episodes uh, at their at their space last time, which was like absolutely incredible. It's a beautiful space to be. Um, they were super welcoming, welcoming and inviting. Um, to have them have us here and to have you guys here and allow us to use this space is um, is you know beyond our imagination of what we could expect coming to Toronto for our first show. So we want to again thank you for Ooh. this and thank you for all the work that you're doing and all the people that you're engaging all over the world. Yeah. Um, it really is amazing uh, to to be connected with you guys and to be a part of uh, an organization that is uh, is changing the world. Mm. And the the last quick thing that I want to add is is we just passed um, Bell Let's Talk week or day earlier this week, and it's so important to talk about mental illness. But one of the big things we've been talking about is it's it's even more important to be somebody who can listen. So if you hear somebody who's talking about it. Just make sure that you're an ear as well, and that mm-hmm. that when people do reach out, that you're there for them too. Thank, um, you, guys. thank you, 
Thank you, everybody, for being here. Yeah. Yeah. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.